This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday morning mailbag edition. Andrew Page, good day. Good day, good day. How are you? I'm I'm very very well. I I'm going to wonder. Do you still have this punishing five hour pre podcast regime during the during the Christmas break, or do you give yourself a an hour or so off out of that on Sunday? No, I'm, I'm I'm taking it very easy over Christmas. <laughs> are you? Yeah. Rest yes. and recover. Yes. What, what, what do they call it? Recovery sessions. That the kind recovery of recovery session. I, I'll be doing plenty of ice baths. Tapering. Tapering for the uh, tapering. exactly exactly. <laughs> Gotta say, mate. I um. I mean, they get paid plenty of money. Footballers started their preseasons in early December. Really? I mean, each their yeah. own. And sports scientists do their thing, right? But yeah, I, I, you have the preseason think, oh, it starts in you know, footy starts in March. I guess you start maybe maybe mid Jan or Feb. Yeah, starting already. Um, wow. So it's a it's a it's a hell of a thing. Um, mate, we are pre-recording some episodes as we've have said already. Um, this one's one of those. We're going to give you content, listeners, right across the Christmas season, unless I screw something up in the meantime. That's the intent. If you are listening to this, uh, it does mean I managed to do it okay. Or as Paul and Hanson said, if you are watching this, maybe I, I'm dead. I'm not sure. I will assume <laughs> I'm not dead. I will try very very hard to come back. Uh, but these are pre-recorded. So if anything really important or earth-shattering has happened in the last couple of days. We don't know about it. Or we do, but we know about it at the same time as you do. Unfortunately, we didn't know about it back then when we recorded this episode. We could Let's- we could really have egg on our face, right? I was like, <laughs> I think you should do this. And it's like, well, that's right. that was yeah, the wrong yeah. call, yeah. wasn't it? The ASX yeah. is perfectly safe and the whole, the whole thing's gone bankrupt or something. <laughs> yep. Oh. Yep. Anyway, we will be fine. We know that. We know that. Hey, um, we thought we'd do some mailbag questions, mate. And let's start with a question for someone who asked to be anonymous. Now. I will uh, give our listeners a bit of a look behind the curtain. This is the second time we've recorded the beginning of this episode because the first time around I mentioned the person's name and then read, please treat me as anonymous. And I thought, oh, I can't really come back from that. So we well, at least, at least it was the first question and we weren't oh, like no, 40 minutes deep and that. then, yeah. Because we don't edit. We don't edit here. This is yeah, one we- take. <laughs> We're doing it live. I, you know what? I reckon our listeners have probably worked that out, mate. I, 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 don't, I don't think they've oh, gone. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazingly polished. There must be lots of editing involved. Like, yeah. No, they, they don't. They don't do that. No. Um, mate, so let's let's go with the question. Hello, wise, wise sages, says our questioner. Please treat me as anonymous. I've been a listener to both your podcasts for a number of years. Thank you. And find nice. it most helpful in fine-tuning my investment philosophy. So thank you both. You're very welcome. My question is... I have very recently become aware of a tax issue with some ASX-listed Vanguard ETFs. I noticed that 15% withholding tax was deducted from dividends paid by the US Total Market ETF and the FTSE Mm. All World XUS ETF. Mm. These are ASX-listed and therefore subject to Australian tax laws, just like those offered by iShares, BetaShares, SPDR and VanEck. on contacting Vanguard, they could not provide any reason for the deduction. They pointed the finger at ComputerShare, who are the share registry doing the deduction. When I contacted ComputerShare, they pointed the finger at Vanguard. Oh, Lovely, guys. Dear. Well done. We were I talking about the a- bureaucratic nightmare oh, just the mate. other week, weren't we, of things like yeah. that? Yeah. I realized there was an IRS requirement of withholding 15% tax on US-listed shares and ETFs, but I'm a loss as to why they apply this to ASX-listed ETFs, including these companies which have no US exposure. I was wondering if there's any way to get to the bottom of these, of this, sorry, or should I just sell out and buy an equivalent ETF from another provider? Hope you can shed some light on this mystery. Regards, anonymous questioner. I know the answer to this one, Ram. I don't either. I've no I don't idea. Either. I, do, I, do, I do know this one. 
Oh, you do. Oh, I was going to I... say I would I would contact Vanguard, yeah, um, but no. that's that's obviously hit a, hit a wall. I can answer this one. So okay, it gets a little bit. It's not actually very detailed, but it's just you got to think through what's going on here. So the comp- the, the share market listing is not the basis for the tax consideration. So you can be a US-based company with an ASX listing and you're still subject to US tax laws. You can be an Australian company listed on the US and you're subject to Australian tax laws. The domicile of the listing itself, just literally the where do you trade the shares, is not, not relevant for the tax implications. These two ETFs, and frankly, plenty of others as well, I don't know how many, but, but certainly plenty of others, these funds, the underlying fund itself, is actually domiciled in the US. And that's ah. why this matters. So effectively what you can do, imagine it's a bit like, um, you know, we've talked, talked about chest depository interest, CDIs before RAM, where yep. you know, a, a easy example is Block, right? The business that was Square that bought Afterpay. You can, uh, you can trade those shares on the ASX, but it's a US company. And yep. the US rules apply, uh, Resmed's another one, the US rules apply to the company itself. You can buy the shares here, you can buy BHP, you can buy those shares in America, but it's an Australian yep. company and so on and so forth. Yep. Basically what happens here is because the fund is domiciled, in other words, not, not the listing, the actual business itself, think about the bricks and mortar or it's a fund, so it's a bit different, you know what I mean? Uh, the business itself is based in the US, the shares can be traded in Australia, and because of that, you uh, the company is, or the, in this case the ETF, the fund, is required to withhold that 15% tax. Mm-hmm. So it's not the listing that matters, it's where the actual uh, business itself um, is, is domiciled. So in this case, even though, as you say, uh, dear questioner, anonymous questioner, uh, the, Van- the FTSE All World XUS ETF is not at all in the US, at least in its investments, the fund itself is actually domiciled, is based in the US, and so they have US taxes. Now, that okay. said, for all of that, it actually doesn't matter to Australia because we have a tax treaty with the US. Mm-hmm. And effectively, Australian investors, when you lodge your tax return, you'll get a credit for that tax paid in the US mm-hmm. and it comes off any tax you owe here in Australia. Mm. Now, I can't promise you'd get a refund of that tax if you're in a zero tax bracket, for example. So there may be circumstances where you don't want to do this and that would be completely reasonable. Um, I don't think you can claim it. You might even be, it might even be able to. Anyway, there'll be tax accountants out there who can tell me. So if you are in a zero percent tax rate, uh, if you're an accountant listening, feel free to let me know or let us know and we'll, we'll let our listeners know uh, or just go and see an accountant yourself. But don't if you are paying your own tax, so for example, I have US listed shares. Uh, I own them directly. When they pay a dividend, 15% of that money is withheld. I just tell the accountant, hey, I pay this tax here. I've got to pay income tax on the whole dividend anyway. And so I just pay the incremental amount that I owe. When so you that's say, the way this works. Sorry, mate. When you say you tell the accountant, I presume that they just give you a, a form that you- Oh, yeah. So, yeah, give, yeah. Right. I'm, so, I, mean, I guess, is that, is, that the, is that the short version of it? It's just sort of yep. like it is appropriate as to what they've done. Yes. Give that to the end. If you do your tax yourself- Mm-hmm. Do you want to get into that? Was, I guess there's just an appropriate thing, box. Y- yeah, you, exactly. You feel- it is. Exactly. Okay. It is. Yeah. The, the, you, you literally, it's, I don't even remember the name of the box. If you do your tax yourself, it can't be hard. I mean, well, tax, do your tax yourself is more difficult every year these days. But um, yeah, same thing. Mm. It's, it's, just, it's just international withholding tax. There will be a, a box, a, a, a place on the form to say this much tax was withheld. It effectively counts as a credit towards any other tax you owe. And the tax okay. treaties between Australia and the US. So okay. I wouldn't worry about this at all. Yeah. Unless you happen to be in a zero tax environment, which is probably superannuation in a pension phase, 
in which case you might want to just make sure that you're not paying tax you don't need to. And in that case, you would be better having another ETF that was domiciled here because there's no point having that tax withheld for the sake of it. Uh, but it is a it is a wash for anybody else. So uh, don't uh, don't worry too much about it. Is my view. Um, as I said, I own direct shares anyway, and I, I happily have that money withheld. And it just offsets against the tax I owe. So there is no incremental obligation or, or you know there's no extra pay extra money for me to pay that's just the way that the process works. just extra paperwork <laughs> but yeah but I, you know, not at the really end of the day that. it's like it's, it's one number in one box it, you know it's I, it, yeah. it, I, I wouldn't like, like most tax things I wouldn't change my investing approach to avoid paying or to avoid dealing with the withholding tax administration putting a number in a box once a year okay. just, it shouldn't be in my view a, an issue for you again if you want to do it and choose something else by all means go for it but I wouldn't um, I wouldn't wouldn't worry about it personally okay great. Um, there are some just quickly sometimes one fund recently I don't know if it's a Vanguard fund or someone else's every now and again they do change their domicile for that reason Ah. And what I think you'll find is when these ETFs get big enough in Australia to justify a... The problem is the fund itself effectively has to operate here as its own thing. Mm. So if you're, if you're getting currently the FTSE All World XUS ETF, there's probably, I don't know, I would assume billions of dollars in that fund in the US. Mm. If they open a brand new one here, there'd be $48.50. And right. so, so the fees would be astronomical and whatever. So the trade-off kind of is, and this is what I would say to you if you're going to change... Just be careful because, generally speaking, you'll, you'll you'll notice. I think I'm pretty sure the fees on these two ones you mentioned, the U.S. Total Market ETF and the FTSE All World XUS ETF, the fees are tiny, and they're tiny, tiny because the the fund is under management in that fund is so enormous. Hmm. If you were to have one that was domiciled here, and it would have literally one one thousandth of the of of the funds in in that in that fund, the chance hmm. they can do it for that sort of fee is really really small. So just care, kind of careful what you wish for. Um, I'd, ra- I'd rather the, the once a year, you know, one line, one one number in a box paperwork and have a fee that is probably, it's, it's a lot, lot lower anyway, put it that way, than, than it would be if you're, if you're investing in the US domicile one. So hopefully at some point there's enough Australian investors to do it and who want it and Vanguard and other fund managers can create a second fund and domicile it here. That'd be great for mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I wouldn't be put off by it personally. I'm glad you're here, mate, because that, that was all news to me. I appreciate that. Thank <laughs> it's you. One we've, it's one we've dealt with a few times. I'm going to, oh, why not? I'm going to, quick plug, because it's Christmas. Go for it. Um, we have a, a service called ETF Investor at The Motley Fool. It's something like 29 bucks a year. It's stupid cheap. Rip like, off. I, I tell you what, so 29 <laughs> bucks a year, fair income. Anyway, well, I, I, I'm not complaining, by the way. It was my idea to make it that cheap. I wanted it to because I thought I wanted to get a whole lot of investors who, who haven't started investing a really, really simple, cheap on-ramp to investing. That was kind of the idea. And ETFs mm-hmm. are an easy way to do it. Um, so if you want to try that out, fool.com.au forward slash join dash ETF dash investor. Pretty, for, pretty straightforward. Fool.com.au uh, forward slash join dash ETF dash investor. If you want to have a look at that, feel free. Um, I say that partly as a plug, well, entirely as a plug, but you asked about knowing about that sort of stuff. I've, I've been through this for the, um, the recommendations we made for that service. So that's, uh, that's, I got you. that's why I know the answer to this question, which is nice. fortuitous in this event. Otherwise, we both look at each other dumbstruck and move on to the next question. Um, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go and take Vanguard. This is like, <laughs> yeah. but I, I mean, can I just say, I feel that pain. It is, there is nothing more frustrating than being stuck on hold for like a million oh, hours, getting yeah. through to someone, I'll oh, transfer, I can't do this. And just, it is, <laughs> but it, you know, one of the inner rings of hell yeah. Is, is you stuck on a phone for eternity <laughs> waiting to speak to some some um, bureaucrat? It's it's a nightmare. 
It's entirely possible, speaking of that, mate, we actually are in hell and don't know it, particularly if you've ever flown Qantas, because I think it's about four and a half hours these days on the phone if you want to change a flight. So maybe Oof. maybe, maybe that's how we know we've gone to hell. We start oh uh, having gosh. to contact the, cust- the Qantas customer service. That's, oh, I'm sure it's unfair. I'm sure it's not four and a half hours. I'm sure it's only three hours and 15 Oh, that's, that's all right then. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, here's a question from... Someone who calls themselves Ram. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume or hope or believe it's not you, but let's, let's huh. find out. Hi, let's Scott and Andrew. Out. Thank you for your contribution to the investment community. This podcast is my favorite for my walks around my suburbs parks. Awesome. I'm really, really glad. I'm one of those investors who always wanted to enter the market. COVID enabled me in 2021. Oh, my question great is- Great timing. Yeah. I've saved enough to pay off my mortgage. Not a big Brilliant. mortgage. I'm a minimalist, says Ram. But now I'm in a dilemma as to whether to pay it off or keep the money in an offset account and use that capital to invest when opportunities arise? Mm. Or should I pay it off and start again? Also, the other part of me, like every other Australian, is saying buy another decent property for a better lifestyle. I know it's general advice only, says Ram with a wink. It's clearly not you. Uh, what do you definitely guys, not me. <laughs> what do you guys think? What would you do if you were in this situation? And Ram says, I'm in my mid-40s and have teenage kids. Thank you. Much appreciated. Best regards, Ram. Now, we can't give personal advice, obviously, as you as you well know. Uh, but from one Ram to another, mate, what do you think? I mean, congrats. That is that is a great yeah. A problem to have. Um, I, I don't think there is, as we often say, there's no one right answer here. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can see a lot of sense in going in either direction. There is, there is something incredibly – we talked about this the other day, actually – incredibly liberating, empowering, satisfying – um, in in not having any mortgage debt or rent, you the amount of money you need yeah. to earn to sustain your lifestyle is so radically different. Think about anyone else out there listening. Take away your rent, take away your mortgage repayments. How much richer are you per week? It is huge, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. it's a kind of wealth that that you know it's it's different to looking at a portfolio of shares that may be going up over time, but it's a very it it is a it is an, an immensely freeing um, situation to be in. So I, this is just me, I would I would err towards that. Now, presumably you're just not going to like go part-time and, and slash your income in half. Although if you did, I would not fault that at all. Um, depends on what, what you value in life. But if you if you enjoy your work and you're going to continue to work, I I would then find that you you just end up building up capital, which you need to do something with. And yeah. Buy some shares. I, I think that's really, really hard to, to go past. Could you, if you are gonna, if you are going to take some equity and buy shares and do it that way, I think that's fine too. Honestly, mm. I, I would, I would be more inclined to do that with, and I think this is the case here for Ram is is a, a relatively small mortgage, so it's just mm, like there's mm, such a mm. huge buffer that you know it's very hard to see anything going wrong. I don't, I don't, I don't see any fault in that as well. To do the math and which is which is the best solution. Well, let's say that the market's about to go on a ten-year tear. Yes, absolutely. You know, put it in the offset account and and <laughs> and, and buy as much as you can. Yeah, if exactly. it's going to be pretty ordinary returns over the next ten years, yeah. just pay it off yeah. and, and and go for it that way. So that that that's that's that will be the right answer. Is like you know, ask me in ten years and I'll tell you what you should have what you should have done. Should you buy another property for quote unquote lifestyle? So I won't do the usual rant here other than to say, 
<laughs> Can't, yeah, other than to it, say, insert right here, gone. <laughs> other than to say, well, yeah, I actually had this conversation recently with a friend, and it's like, oh, you know, we had that, you know, if if we won the Powerball thing, I would yeah. do this, and I'd have a yeah. property in Milan, and this, and that. I was like, why? Yeah. Why yeah. would you? It was like, oh, because then I could go there whenever I want, and it's just like, <laughs> yeah, but here's 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 how I would do it, right? I yep. would I would just Airbnb it. I would I go to Milan, yeah, and I would I would rent the most beautiful place. I'd rock up, <laughs> I grab the yep. keys, I'd yep. have a great time, and then I'd hand it back, and then I've got nothing to deal with. There's no agent calling me up saying the smoke alarm needs a new battery, or you know, it's just it's very easy to have. So I, I get I get the aspiration, the aspirational desire to have another place that you can go to, but I reckon I would. It depends how frequently. If you're the kind of person who's going to who wants a house down the coast and you're going to go there every weekend, yeah, okay, and you can afford to do it, okay, sure, fine, buy a house. If realistically it's going to be something you get to two or three times a year, do the maths, and I reckon that you'll find that just renting is going to come out well. You're going to come out miles and miles ahead on that. Plus, you get to go somewhere different each time. Plus, you don't have the the hassle of dealing with it in uh, in the interim. Um, I had a, 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 a someone um, espoused this to me years ago. They were a bit of a, a motorhead. They loved their cars, but they drove this beaten down old Toyota around. But every now and again on the weekend, they they'd hire a beautiful sports car and drive up to the mountains, have a great time, and then hand the keys back. Now, was that expensive per hour of car driving time type thing relative to what it would have been if you owned it outright? Yes, but given that you're only doing this occasionally. And you add it all up that you're actually miles ahead. So the, he was sort of saying, I get to have a different car all the time. There's no hassle. I don't have to worry about garaging the whole damn thing. It's just, it's just easier and it's cheaper. And so, yeah, I, I, I again, this is a, there's no right or wrong. Me personally, I would, mm. I would love to have that flexibility and freedom. And whenever I want to go somewhere, I'll just go just Airbnb it. And I've got, there, there's the lifestyle part tick without the headache tick, you know, 100%. Now, can I just? But I'll let you. I'll hand it over. I'm just just hearing someone shouting at the podcast machine right now, (laughs) going, "Yes, but when you buy that property, you you get the, uh, you know, you get to double your capital every seven years." (laughs) Here comes the rent. (laughs) Here comes it. I'm just like, well, that's cool. If that's your expectation, then absolutely do that. Um, If it's not your expectation, don't. Yeah. um, I so back to the question to beginning of the question. I. Personally, mate, I reckon I would pay off the mortgage. Um, For two, well, one general reason and one specific reason. The general reason is you can't beat peace of mind. Uh, While the house price can obviously fall, uh, as long as you're not selling it, (laughs) you've got it as sure as it's right. Whereas if you invest in shares and you get that wrong, you do risk your capital. Now, technically, you risk capital in both cases and even the same size of capital in both cases. You know, mathematically, again, on paper... If your house falls 10% or your share portfolio falls 10% and the same cash, then you, you lose the same amount of money both ways. Difference is at some point, you're going to have to pay the mortgage off. So I think I, I would I would honestly pay the mortgage off um, if it was me. Um, <coughs> second point is the specific bit, which is right now, particularly with interest rates that you're probably paying somewhere between very, very high fives and six and a half percent. After tax, <laughs> you know, the average share market returns not miles ahead of that. And mm. so... I also think the opportunity is relatively 
modest. Now, if rates were back at two percent, you might have a different conversation, and rates might fall at some point from this from this point. Yeah. Um, or you, or you felt you could average fifteen percent per annum because you're as almost as good as Buffett or something. <laughs> then right. yeah, sure, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So even if you thought you were though, the, the the risk of you know again, there's a guaranteed saving mm. of the interest at a, at a relatively high level now, and you're getting um, and you're getting you know the, the the lifestyle benefit. The other thing I'd say is the offset account. You said this before, mate. Um, I, I have actually used it relatively responsibly, I think. <clears throat> but um, and I don't say that's a big note myself. I, I guess I'm just making the point it's possible. So many people they use the offset account and then all of a sudden realize they would really like to buy a boat or a car or do a it's renovation. An AT- it's an ATM machine. Right? The banks and know what they're doing. Correct. Right? And they not for everybody. And, and it's one of those things where people say, yeah, but I can use it sensibly. It's like people say with marginalized. I can use it sensibly. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can, but maybe you can't. And again, once the money's there... Might go up a little bit. Well, probably won't go up at all if you're using it to offset the interest. Mm. So the risk is effectively the upside is capped and the downside is, well, what if I start spending some of that money? I'll pull a bit of money for the holiday. We really do need to fix the deck and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I, again, I like everything that can, that can be used for good or evil. Um, I would be just very, very careful about the way you consider uh, that, that part of the process. Mm. In, terms of, um, in terms of the second property, I think I'm not sure actually what the question was about um, is it for a better lifestyle I think you mean I think you mean trading up your house so getting a bigger house or a bigger unit oh I, I thought the, it was a second well so sa- saving okay. to buy another decent property for a better lifestyle when I assume oh, the last bit suggests an okay. upgrade of a house okay. again I do. I, what do I think I don't I think there's I'll, I'll talk it about both sides of my mouth um, again, home is a lifestyle asset. If it's going to make you happier for the rest of your life, then that's a pretty good payback. So, yeah. you know, do what you want to do. Now, you're going to pay interest on that, so be careful and make sure it's worthwhile. Um, the other thing is, obviously, it's easy for me to say, it's easy for anyone to say they've got a house already and they're happy with, but, you know, there is an element of lifestyle inflation, which is a phrase I love. I'm sure plenty of people yes. use it. Dave Gow from Strong Money, um, who has been on the love Good that. Oil, if you want to have a listen to that. Talk about lifestyle inflation. You have all the different types of inflation. You can't control the food prices or the petrol prices or whatever. But lifestyle inflation is, well, I'd really like a bigger insert X here. I'd really like another insert Y here. It's not bad. It's not wrong. Live your life. Enjoy your life. Buy the things you want to buy. Do what makes you happy. Um, But there is something about when is is big enough, big enough, and how much do you have to pay for that? And to your point, mate, do it in terms of hours and years worked. (laughs) How many many more years would I have to work to make it worthwhile? Is that worth the extra bedroom? Maybe. Is it worth the bigger backyard? Maybe. Um, I, I'll say, you know, we, my wife and I, my family, we moved to Barrel out of the Sutherland Shire, the south of Sydney, um, to a to a bigger uh, house. Is I think smaller, or about the same size. Backyard reasonably bigger, or about an acre and a half, which is lovely. But we moved an hour and a half away and paid the same price. So mm-hmm. you know, it, it, we could have probably bought a bigger place in Sydney and paid another million bucks for it. Um, so you know, do do what makes you happy. I would just encourage you to think really, really, really carefully about the financial obligation you're imposing on yourself if you do that and just to make sure it's genuinely going to make you happier um and and happier enough to make the the the, the trade-up worthwhile don't just fall for the trap of lifestyle inflation the you know the bigger car the better car the newer car the bigger house the you know bigger or better everything else at mm. some point you kind of you know the the, the superpower is saying i've got enough mm. and that's not easy in our society for a million different reasons i don't mean even that cynically or or conspiratorially um, humans are just like that, right? We're, we're comparative creatures. The keeping yep. up with the Joneses is a thing because it's a thing. No yep. one decides they want to keep up with the Joneses. They just feel like they should. Yep. Um, it is it is pretty insidious, but it's not it's not it's no conspiracy. 
Um, the superpower is actually saying, you know what? I think I'm okay with that. I think I think I'm done. You know, I've got enough, and that's and that's fine. And then and then, frankly, getting your joy out of, I now don't have to work if I don't want to, or I now own my own home, or I now whatever, whatever those things are. Yeah, my disposable um, income is through the roof because right? they have very little housing costs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, that's um, yeah. and look, <laughs> well, I was, you and I were chatting before this. I was complaining about the everything in my house has gone wrong in the last eighteen months, like just everything. Uh, which is annoying as hell. But I didn't have anything to pay for the previous four, four or five years meaningfully. Didn't you know? So yep. these things go in fits and starts. But you're right, mate. When you when you can get to a point where you're saying, actually, no, I'm going to own this house outright, or or, or the mortgage is meaningfully lower, or whatever it is. The other thing too, I will say, and everyone's different. I don't know what uh, what uh, job you've got, Ram, not you, Ram, the other Ram, the mm-hmm. questioner. Um, I don't know what your your job is, but there's also something nice about, hey, if I lose my job. Then I know, you know, we've got a, we got, so, we, you know, the offset account we took out when we bought this place was bigger. I, I took out a bigger loan and I put some mm-hmm. extra, extra money in the offset. Now, that was dangerous if I spent it, but knowing that I didn't have to worry if I lost my job for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I hope my boss likes me and will keep me around, but, you know, it, who knows what's going to happen. So, mm-hmm. the, the, just the, the comfort of knowing I could make enough repayments out of the cash I had in the offset if the worst came to the worst is just, a really significant emotional benefit, and so don't mm. don't don't discount that one as well. Yep, but I'll look, I'll move on. But I'll just say, if you're living in a mm. very cramped two bedroom unit with right. two teenagers, and you can afford to <laughs> exactly. upgrade and and not overstretch yes. yourself, then yes. it is, yeah, hell yeah, right. 100%. Like it, it's it's yeah. It, this is why I said at the start, there's no right answer, but hopefully some 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 thoughts there. I just no. I guess the I'll put a I'll put a line under it. Just all by saying is that don't <clears throat> don't don't obsess too much about the number of whatever yeah. that your net wealth is. Yeah. yeah. You know, because what what doesn't fit into that is is lifestyle and freedom and 100%. optionality and those other things, which I think personally as I get older I I'm putting more and more and more emphasis on. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. I've got a question from Ivan. Hi, guys. He says, thanks for the entertaining info and ongoing rants. <laughs> Pretty sure you guys won't be replaced when the AI overlords take over, which I would otherwise consider a compliment. I'm just assuming that Ivan figures no AI is going to bother ranting the way we do. <laughs> it's going to be a little more, a little more temperamentally uh, balanced or something. I'm not, I'm not sure what Ivan means by that, but uh, either way, if long as we keep our jobs, I'll be pretty happy with that. <laughs> Quick question. They, 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 they can they can train. There's a lot. There's a lot of uh, <laughs> there's a lot of hours to train mm-hmm. those AIs on. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that like we could be replaced pretty pretty easily. After this episode, I'm going to type in Chat GPT a rant in the style of Andrew Page from Strawman.com. <laughs> see, see what it gives me. Um, so quick question, says Ivan. In line with similar questions over the last two weeks. So this is a, this uh, question is a bit older. So you know a few weeks. Vanguard has launched a superannuation product in Australia. And although Vanguard has been around for a while, both here and overseas, this is a new product. How do you evaluate something that needs a long-term outlook but hasn't got any performance history? I would assume their culture and people have a lot to do with it, but how do you put culture into a spreadsheet, knowing the main assets of a company leave the company every Friday afternoon? I hope this makes sense, he says. On a different note, why not just say this is a two-hour rant? Um, I mean, podcast. And be done with it. At least the long-form listeners will be there for the end part. (laughs) LOL. Yeah, but the trouble is, is we say that and then it becomes a three-hour. <laughs> Correct. Right. We have no shame nor self-discipline, Ivan. Uh, Ivan finished with full-on Ivan. Thank you, mate. Um, what do you, mate? What do you reckon, mate? What do you? What do you? How do you? How do you evaluate Vanguard Super, given it's a new product and uh, and has no performance history? I'm not familiar with the product, mm. um, so I think yes, you know the 
you want you want an institution that is on a very firm footing, and mm. that is absolutely the case with with Vanguard. Other than that, it's really just depending on what the mandate is. Like mm. They they probably have a pretty clear mandate as to what they're going to invest in and how they're going to do it. So I don't think you'll find there's too much surprises there. They are not going to turn around one day and say we're all in emu farms or whatever it <laughs> happens to be. Um, so I I again I, I hesitate a little bit because I don't I don't know what the product is. But in terms of would I trust them as an institution? Yes, I think I would. And and I assume that there's there's pretty clear guardrails as to what they can and can't do. And you probably want something pretty vanilla anyway, right? Mm-hmm. You don't you don't want something that's too esoteric or <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't lose any sleep over that. Particularly if the fees are attractive, right? Mm-hmm. If the product itself looks attractive from a cost basis, um, then yeah, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna worry too much about it. Or am I wrong to to say that? No, I don't think you're wrong at all. Um, so I know the Vanguard Super product a little bit, and it's basically somewhere, but it's kind of most akin to the um, Australian Super or other, other Super kind of direct investment options, but generally pretty heavy in ETFs. And so I think there's it, Vanguard Super is a little bit different to most Ivan, or sorry, most other products we talk about because if you said, what about Magellan as a fund manager or the Magellan flagship fund, for example? You might say, well, it's done this, it's been that, that's why I want to invest in it or I don't. So you're you're specifically taking the investment style in returns of the investment manager and choosing to play along with that. When you're in a super fund, there's two there's two levels to think about. And this is for any everyone talking about any super fund, by the way. The first is the fund manager, so the person pulling the strings. The second though is the strings they're pulling. So you know, Vanguard as a fund manager or Australian Super as a fund manager or AMP as a, sorry, Super Fund again. I ain't sorry, let me start that again. Vanguard as a Super Fund. Australian Super as a Super Fund. AMP as a Super Fund. The funds themselves is, are they going to run the fund in accordance with the law? Is your money going to be there when you want it? So that, that's the first level. The second is then which, uh, which um, investment options should you choose? If you go with Australian Super, you can choose from one of, I think there might be six or eight different pre-mixed options. And then you can choose ETFs within that. You can choose to direct your own investments within that. So you think about that and think, well, hang on. So what is Australian Super? You know, should I invest with them? Well, should you use them as your fund manager is the first question. And then if, if and when you say the answer is yes, which of their fund options do you take? And that's when you want to decide whether or not that makes sense. Now, if every one of AMP's fund options, I shouldn't pick on them, but I will, uh, is terrible, don't use them as a fund manager because you've got no good options within it. Mm. But frankly, I could join Australian Super today and I could say, put 100% of it in um, in a Vanguard ASX ETF, right? In which case, I think you can't assume 100% of the got rules, but you know what I mean. Um, mm. In which case, I'm asking myself, is, is Australian Super the right trustee? Are they the right administrator? And then I'm asking myself, is the investment option within that good? So when I go back to, to Vanguard Supermate, I guess I, that's what I'm kind of saying in terms of how you should consider it. Vanguard has been around for decades. Uh, they're as reputable as they come. Uh, it doesn't mean nothing can go wrong. Things can always go wrong. They're owned by the unit holders, so there's no conflicted incentives at a, at a corporate level. They may be at, a, at an individual level, obviously. People you know, get bonuses and stuff, so maybe there's, you know, always think about that. But generally speaking, it's kind of, you know, pretty reasonable and pretty trustworthy. Uh, I'm glad they're in the, the super space. Uh, their fees are still a little bit high at the moment relative, say, Australian super. Um, I did look at them. I, I've got an SMSF and I even went, oh, maybe I could choose Vanguard Super. Um, I chose not to. Uh, the fees will probably come down in time. 
almost certainly come down in time unless they can't get to scale. So that might be the only question you might want to ask yourself. But even if they do, they'll, they'll close down in an orderly fashion. So I don't see any significant material risks with Vanguard, even though it's brand new. Uh, we know the company, we know the culture relatively well. They've got 50 years of history of it. Uh, and if they're just literally just you know pulling the strings, directing the, the traffic, there should be nothing to worry about. But that, that's, so, that's, that's with that. In terms of in general, you, you, the questions or the suggestions you made are spot on. Uh, so yes, look at the, uh, the culture, look at the company's background, uh, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely makes perfect sense. Uh, if I will say with the investment funds, by the way, what I love about your point about the assets walking out every Friday afternoon, that's really important because even at, I'll pick Magellan for fun, um, Hamish Douglas left Magellan recently, relatively recently. So when you look at Magellan's track record, you know, Magellan in quotes, who, whose track record are you looking at? Magellan or Hamish's? So then moving forward, even though the fund has a long history, will it be run the same way with a new fund manager, with a new chief investment officer as it was by the last one? And that could be better or worse, by the way. I'm not saying it's going to be only worse, but just it's worth thinking that through. Whenever you think about investing with a, a fund manager, or sorry, with a fund, understand who was actually pulling the strings and whether that person remains in the seat Otherwise, even though it looks like it's got a long track record, it may absolutely not. Uh, and it would be the first company that blew itself up under, under a new management. Nice. Um, Any more on that, mate? No, nothing to add. Now, Darren, <laughs> very Charlie, have you? Thank you. <laughs> Darren sent us a, uh, a, a, an email. And uh, I don't know whether I should be offended or not. He says, Dear Scott and Mr. Page. Oh. I don't know how you're Mr. Page. I'm, anyway, best show in town, said Darren. What can one say? Although I do wonder, with the amount of talking you both do, if there could have been a better use of your talents <laughs> with a weak emoji. Is he saying we're really good and better at that than investing or we're wasting our time talking so much? Oh, you can take that number of different ways. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking it in the most favorable way that, okay, that I can. He thinks we should be. Well, you, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times you want a Joe Regan style deal with Spotify. So maybe, maybe, he's, uh, maybe he's going down that path. I'm like accepting offers right now. <laughs> uh, today, I received an email from ShareSite, he says, a service I know Andrew uses, which has finally built a reporting engine, which allows me to see my combined portfolio of local and global ETFs, what's inside them, what countries I'm diversified across, and by what industry. OMG, says Darren. I've worked out I'm diversified in some areas and not very in others. A bit eye-opening, one might say. One thing I can now tell is that by industry categorization, I'm apparently a large investor in REITs, mining, and banking. And that's with 50% of my funds invested in global ETFs like Vanguard's MSCI Index Fund. Uh, I mean, what can I say? When you invest in broad-based ETFs in Australia, you are bound to be concentrated in these key areas, as Andrew likes to remind us. <laughs> so the question, they say information is power, and I certainly feel more empowered now than before. I'm not necessarily uncomfortable with these weightings, but putting this context across your own portfolios, where and how do you start thinking about diversification when looking at a core portfolio but with low-cost, broad-based ETFs? Regards, Darren. Darren, I'm going to say firstly, mate, I love that you have been listening enough. I assume you've got some of this, at least from us. Low-cost, broad-based ETFs is exactly the right phrase. None of these ridiculous thematic ETFs that fund managers are trying to make you buy because they sound sexy or exciting or the old quotes, take a position. Uh, Low-cost, broad-based ETFs are exactly where you should be going, in my view, for most people if they're doing the ETF thing. Um, what do you reckon, Ram? How, how should he or how should our listeners think about diversification with a range of ETFs? I'm really tempted to say don't. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, you're right. so diversified within an ETF. By de- unless you've got a sector-specific kind of ETF, but if you're talking about the broad-based, low-cost ones, you need one. You know, may- maybe one for Australia, one for the US, maybe one for the rest of the world if you want it. But you know, like mm. you-, you are so definitionally diversified that you know people who have like eight different flavors of broad-based, low-cost ETFs it's just you're just um, masochists. Like for in terms of tax reporting and all the rest of it, you don't need it. You, you completely don't need it. Yep. Um, they, and they're going to be so ridiculously correlated anyway. Mm-hmm. So, and just generally too, so I'm a big fan of ShareSite. I'm happy to shout out. I'm catching up with the guys next week, actually. So, hey, nice. um, yeah, yeah. Um, they're good uh, guys. I, I use it. I haven't got a relationship with them, but I, I use ShareSite. I like it a lot. We've we've done a couple of testimonial swaps with those guys. Um, we like them a lot. They do, they do a really good job. They, they like us. They like you. So they can't just, all be bad, can they? It's just easy, right? Like I just, yeah, I, yeah. I can't be bothered to collate all of my, yeah, yeah. you know, capital gains and dividends. Just press a button, it's done, right? Um, uh, but the, I, I, it's not a go against share site in particular. Is there any, like, I think a lot of the broking websites do this. They have these pie charts and they try and sort of show you your exposure according to either sector classification, industry classification, classification and I, I feel as though it really doesn't tell you anything someone's had to put a label on a business what what kind yeah, of business yeah. is this i've just opened up share site and looked at my diversity report so I've, i don't want to read out percentages but i've got produce <laughs> producer manufacturing okay electronic right. technology what's that process industries i can't even think of what companies <laughs> these are referring to right there's a big, there's an unknown in there as well. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that's the Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> but, but, but it's, it's a bit silly. I would even say we've talked about this before. I think it, there's one, one pie chart for my portfolio, which is almost like 90% technology. You know, but it's like the, the companies are all so different. Are, yeah. are they technology based? Is there a software right. component to them? Yes, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But completely different industries, completely different business models, mm. and it's just it's just hard to pigeonhole a lot of different things. So I don't tend to worry about that at all. I, I do worry about correlation. If I had all of the like the classic example here is if I just had the you know CBA, Westpac, ANZ, NAB. You know, that's, yeah, that is not that's diversified right. Right, at exactly. all. I'm doing right. across all the big banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've all, across <laughs> all of them. Or I've got JB Hi-Fi, Harvey Norman. You know, I've got all the all the discretionary retailers in there. That's not diversified as well. But if I can exactly. Exactly. just, you know, as a human, look at these companies and say, are these subject to the same sort of general macro forces, you know, or, or industry dynamics? And the answer is no, even if at a surface level they have mm. a similar kind of business model. You know, Zero and WiseTech mm. in one way are exactly the same kind of company. Yeah, in right. another way, they yes, couldn't be more right. different. Exactly. In, in the yeah, right yeah, way, yeah, they couldn't yeah. be more different, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm waffling yeah. at this point, but I don't, I don't think you need to overthink that too much. I completely agree. Um, I'm going to add one quick thought and then move on, which is don't overthink it. Um, I'm kind of glad Chester has the report. I don't, sometimes having too much information is not very useful. Um, so I say that in the context of, not that it's a bad thing to have. I mean, information is power and blah, 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 but also kind of does it, does it help or does it just give you more stuff to worry about? And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure of the answer. Um, as Andrew said, 
broad-based, low-cost, diversified. You want, you know, the the other thing here, so, so the, these markets have done really, really well over a century with those current concentrations that were previously different and will be different in the future. So again, don't overthink it in terms of where will you get to and what will it look like. Uh, 50 years ago, you would have massive concentration in manufacturing companies. These days, you know, a big concentration in technology. Was either of those bad? No, they were right for their time and the returns came despite that. So don't, don't worry about too much. One last thing I would say, though, the one, the one additional thing I'll add, you say you've got about half Australia or half global. Um, you might just want to think about that. I'm not saying you should, uh, but remember that on one hand, Australia's only 2% of the world's capital markets, so you're effectively 25 times more concentrated in Australia than, than the average global uh, uh, you know, index. So have a think about whether that is right for you. The flip side of that, of course, is earning in Australian dollars. There are essentially uh, franking credit benefits. Uh, you don't have any currency risks. You probably know the companies feel more comfortable with that. So I wouldn't say you know, yeah. to have 2% Australia, 98% rest of the world necessarily. You could. Um, I'm not saying 50 percent is wrong either. Just just have a think about whether, given that concentration, one way to change that not not actually because of that necessarily, but that would change it because it might be worth thinking about, irrespective of that industry concentration, is just maybe it's better to have a quarter of your portfolio in Australia and 75 percent the rest of the world, or something else, which would actually change that concentration by effect. Not not that would be the reason to do it differently. The reason to do it differently would be that you have a, a, a massive overweighting to Australia right now. Now, that said, I've said before, 50% of my portfolio is in Australia, not an ETF, but in shares. Uh, I'm okay with that. I'm not saying you should change either, Darren. I'm certainly not saying our listeners should change. Just saying that's one way to think about the broader question of diversification. And it would actually impact that that weighting, um, whether that's necessary, good or bad, I guess is a different question. Uh, you know, it's weird too. I, I am very much heavy on Australia. Um, yeah. and, and the reason is, is for better or worse, I feel as though I've got the homeschool advantage. Yeah. I'm not completing with the Makes Harvard grads in, in Wall Street <laughs> yeah, right. for an ASX small cap. Yeah, we're not correct, many correct. anyway. Yeah. Um, so there is that. But, but I would also say then there's another way of looking at it. I'm just looking at my portfolio now. Um, there's one comp, well, uh, Catapult, which I've talked about before, right? Um, on a bit of a tear lately, I'm happy to say. Hey, thank, well done. Thank goodness it's been a rough run. Hashtag um, humble brag going. Yeah, I'm, well, there's, not, there's nothing to brag about with Gatapol, <laughs> let, let me tell you. It's, you know, um, and I've just jinxed it myself too. So that was yeah, dumb. Completely. Um, yeah, completely. Yeah, sell. But yeah, sell, sell now. <laughs> um, but most of their money comes from overseas. You know, it's an Australian yes, domicile company. Point, it's listed yeah. in the ASX, but most of their money comes from the US. And yeah. I've, in fact, all around the world. So is, is that an Australian company? <laughs> Where's my exposure there? Yeah. Um, I look at Ava Risk Group. I look at EnviroSuite. I look at you know all, all of these companies mm. that I've I've got exposure to. It's actually, well, they're yeah. they're kind of international shares. Not kind of. They they are international shares. There's yeah. there's um there's a different layer to to look at these things with as well. So 100%. yep, you can have a you can only play in the ASX and still get incredible ASX uh, international exposure. Mm. I like that. May let's finish off with a question from Davo. He says, hello, fellas. I've been getting great value from the pod for about two years now. Thank you, mate. So thank you. He says, some great insights and informative, balanced discussions each, well, I wouldn't say that, each week. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm also a Motley Fool subscriber and enjoying the recommendations. Thanks, mate. I've got, oh dear, four meaty questions. We'll see how we go. Sorry, but hey, it's my first email after two years of listening, says Davo. And your sage advice, second time with the word sage, sage. used this time. Maybe uh, taking a, a lead from your Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, your sage advice will be very much appreciated. First question, when is too much debt a bad thing? And how does this play out particularly 
for retail businesses. Ooh. Too much debt is a bad thing. Well, here's the technical answer. It, there's never <laughs> no, no such thing as too much debt. As long as your return on capital is greater than your cost of capital, mm. mathematically it makes sense. If I can borrow at 10% yeah. and get a 12% return, I should do that all day, every day, right? The caveat being is that, you know, debt is the only way a smart person can go broke uh, in the sense that, you know, it might look as you might have the expectation to get a 12% return, but you get a 8% return on something that's cost you 10%. So I always try and look at it from a, not not from the pure academic kind of lens of what's what's the return what's the return versus what's the cost i look at it from the what can go wrong juice your returns as much as you can while still being reasonable and allowing for yes. the natural variation in economic cycles and business conditions <laughs> and all the rest of it nothing wrong with debt all yeah. of all of Australia is loaded up to the eyeball from a household perspective <laughs> on debt, right? It's not, not that's yeah. a whole other thing, but it's not necessarily a, a big deal. It, it is too much debt when a unexpected 25%, 25 basis point uh, interest rate increase wipes wipes out the maths. It's, it's too much debt if a bad quarter of revenue means that um, you, you're unable to you know, pay pay the staff bills because the interest cost is too much, or, or, or whatever, or, or whatever it happens to be. Mm. So, gosh, I'm really not articulate today. Well, help me out, mate. What would what would you add to that? It's hard to put a specific number because I know a lot of people will say, and I used to work for someone who would say, "I will never go above a debt to equity of 80." Yeah, and that was their line in the sand. Yeah. And it's like, well, what about Transurban and Sydney Airport? It's pretty different than a small discretionary retailer. Like, it's surely. So there's different ways of, of looking at it. And, and I know a definite answer like that is more appealing, but it's, it's an unfortunately a frustratingly, it's a, it depends answer. Yeah, I, I'll start with a buffetism. Uh, debt or leverage is the only way a smart guy can go broke. Mm-hmm. So any debt is always improving the, ri- increasing the risk of collapse. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. I think in terms of how much debt, think about the cyclicality of a business. Uh, the Ram's point about the you know the cost of capital and the and the returns you get is absolutely spot on. If those are stable returns and stable cost of capital, yep. if the returns are volatile and variable, then at some point the interest bill will swamp the business. We talked about perpetual the other week, um, and by the way, since we, after we recorded that one, the more details came out. So uh, our answer for that <laughs> our conversation on that topic was actually <laughs> half formed, as can be the case when you do these things in advance. Um, they were going to assume the company's debt, but basically, the perpetual is in play because of the debt they took on. So how much debt was too much? Well, in this case, they pretty much hamstrung themselves and now find themselves unable to grow, carrying a debt burden that's too big, high interest costs, all that kind of stuff. They got themselves in trouble where, and frankly, Australian borrowers who borrowed at 2% thought I can afford that. Rates went up 6.5%. So every time you take on debt, you are, and again, another buffet isn't kind of related. He says, never rely on the kindness of strangers. Yeah. The, the, the more debt you take on, the more risk you're adding to your business, the more you put your people yourself in other people's hands. Um, so it's it's a difficult one. Um, I I'm not I'm not allergic to debt at all uh, from an investment perspective. Although I, you know, generally <laughs> less is better than more. Um, I would suggest to you the hard line for me would be I would take a company's history, look at its cyclically low earnings point, 
look at its current debt uh, and work out what a cyclically high interest rate might look like and work out the interest on that. Now, that's, that sounds complicated, and it is. But if you want to do the work, that's how you do it, right? So mm. if you make 100 bucks a year, but sometimes you make 10 bucks a year, and if your interest cost now is $4, but that's at 2%, and if interest rates go to 7%, then all of a sudden your interest, rate go, your, your interest payments go up to $9. I have another number, well, but, you know, roughly that. Mm. That kind of idea is, um, you know, you've got to be very, very careful. Um, so yeah, I, I would, I would just be, I would just be, be very careful. How much debt is too much? Any level that makes you wonder whether they can meet their interest bill when the when the bills come due, and there is no easy answer to that because it depends on all of those variables. Um, Sydney Airport could carry a lot more debt, ironically, until COVID, uh, than any other business because their business was considered stable. Right now, mm. how many people got Sydney Airport wrong in the end? It managed to bail itself out, but. You know, every spreadsheet would have said Sydney Airport's fine. What could possibly go wrong? It's a monopoly asset. Nothing could, mm. nothing could hurt that business. Well, you know what? Now, I'm not mm. saying it's not the pandemic, but the unexpected, the genuine black swan, the genuine X factor, the whatever it is, any debt, you know, that that seemed like a conservative level of debt until it wasn't. So just bad for Transurban that, too, that right? Because no one was, was driving anywhere. Correct, correct. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, probably worth worth keeping those things in mind. I think. Can I can I speak to I the other please. side of yeah, it though? Yeah. Because I think. Sensible investors are wary of debt for all the reasons that we yes. outlined. Yes. However, however, you need sometimes you've got a great opportunity as a business. Yes. And you need growth capital. Oh god, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and you've got two choices. You can do equity or you can do yes. debt. Yes. And equity yes. is just dilution, you know. Mm-hmm. Um yep. and 100%. so I I I you don't want to be dogmatic about this yes. stuff. I, I I'm actually have have pleaded with CEOs that we've spoken mm-hmm. to is just like take the debt share yeah. price is too low the market's not getting the story this is if we if we were talking about a share price that was 20 times sales fill your boots in fact <laughs> why aren't you raising money right now that given given because that that equates to a very low cost of capital when you're trading at such a, a hefty hefty sort of multiple there um, so yeah, debt has a place debt as the same in the same way that a young couple borrowing money to buy a house has a no one's going to go oh that is outrage I mean who's buying a house with cash besides boomers <laughs> no one right <laughs> so so right. it's okay and in sometimes indeed favorable um, so don't yeah. don't don't be too dogmatic is all I'm saying the other thing I'd say too is it, when you think about the way we use debt um, also think about it as a, on a portfolio level so, you know, for all of the comments about Sydney Airport, was it wrong to own Sydney Airport? No, because probabilistically it wasn't going to happen. But also, if your only asset was Sydney Airport, then that was, I'll say, stupid. If anyone out there has only got Sydney Airport shares, my apologies for calling you stupid, but I think it's stupid. Um, you know, so, so this is the other thing about portfolio creation, right? You can own 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 companies, I'd say somewhere above 15 for most people. Um, and... If you have 15 companies all with reasonable amounts of debt and or not reasonable, I won't say reasonable, I don't mean a lot. I mean reasonable as in appropriate mm. levels of debt mm. and one gets caught out because of circumstance, well, that kind of sucks. It'll probably raise capital. It probably won't go broke unless it's a terrible business, in which case it was a, a bigger problem. You know, if, if just one off, the, the bills come in. You know, Webjet had to raise capital during during COVID, but um, corporate travel didn't. I owned corporate travel shares. I owned both of them at the time. Um, you know, so you, sometimes these things happen. Uh, others didn't have to raise capital. Overall, in my portfolio of five years, 10 years, is it a big deal? No. If I had not ever owned Webjet, it went from, and I didn't own it for this period of time, so I'm just using this as an example for the business itself. Um, here, here's me doing it live. <laughs> so Webjet shares 
currently 6.65 at the time of recording they were 68 cents back in 2000 now that's a you know close off to a 10 bagger in 23 years nice um you know so they raised capital it wasn't great the, the share price got smashed hasn't got back to pre-covid levels largely because that new those new shares it issued mm-hmm. um was it wrong to ha- have debt well in hindsight you can say i wish they hadn't but over the time were they right to build a business using debt well probably still yeah despite that right they might have been more conservative they might have done things differently but if i avoided webjet because of that um then i would have done myself out of a 10 bag or over 20 now i didn't so i didn't own it for that long so i'm not claiming i did get those returns my point is broadly that opportunity uh, isn't always there for you if you say, well, I'm not going to have anything with debt because they might have to raise capital. Mm. In this case, even even despite that, you did very, very nicely. So uh, just just kind of keep the portfolio thought front of mind. Um, at a company level, by all means, don't take companies that have got an overly likely chance of failing because you know, setting your own money on fire is not a good idea. Mm. But if it's, well, it's reasonable out of debt, in some circumstances, I can imagine possibly this might have some trouble. Okay, well, if it's one of 25 and you think on balance it probably won't have trouble, I've said before, we have risks on every single recommendation we make. We say risks and when we'd sell. Yeah. Now, if you're waiting for a company with that risk, you don't buy anything. So, and you'd have to pay a squillion dollars for the shares, but that doesn't exist. So you say, I'm taking this risk knowingly, willingly. We did a Charlie Munger episode not long ago talking about his approach to the, you know, look for two to one chance paying three to one. Mm. That's that's kind of the same approach. So yes, consider debt. Yes, absolutely. Don't take on silly amounts of debt, particularly not getting well rewarded for it price-wise. Mm. Uh, don't take risks that aren't you're not getting you know adequate compensation for but most of the time as long as you're sensible about the risks to the business sensibly diversified as part of a portfolio uh, as as ram said don't don't be so allergic to it that you miss out on the opportunity probabilistically that'll come to you because you're desperately trying to avoid every risk that's out there mm. mate some <laughs> did we was this a four-part question well that's what i was going to say so mm. we're going to actually ask the other three questions next time we meet if you will uh if you'll humor me yes will you, will you do that for me yes absolutely fantastic we will do that next time we speak in the meantime if you have questions for us send us at info at fool.com.au you can get us a course on all the usual socials but until next time have a very very merry christmas and full on yes happy christmas cheers The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.